Welcome to the Gingsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a sec and download the Gingsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Gingsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step with your journey with Jesus. Hey, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Dennis. It's great to see each and every one of you. Welcome to those worshiping online. I want to begin this morning's teaching with a story that we would share up in the hills of Eastern Ohio, where I'm from. It's about a time that a minister went to a small church as a guest speaker showed up. He'd never been to this church before, but he was asked to go. They didn't have a pastor and they were having guest speakers every week. And so he said he would. He showed up at the church. No one was there. He came early, but the door was unlocked. And so he walked in and he's looking around. He noticed that by the front door, there was a box. It was an offering box and it was for missions. He pulled out his wallet and he thought, well, I'll give some money. Nobody will see me. But he looked in his wallet and all he had in there, a couple $1 bills, a five, and a brand new $100 bill that he just picked up from the bank. And so he thought for a moment, well, it is for missions. I'll go ahead and give this to the Lord. And so he dropped the $100 in there. And then he went into the sanctuary and waited. People came in, greeted him, preached a wonderful message, anointed service. It was all wonderful. People greeted him on the way out. And then he was getting ready to leave, getting his Bible and his books and everything. And the lay leader of that church came up to him and said, thank you, pastor, for coming. You know, we've been having guest speakers. We're a small country church. We cannot afford to put in our budget a honorarium for the speakers, but we have a tradition in this church. We have a box. It's an offering box that we place at the front door. And when people go out, they put a little in the box, especially if they were blessed. And then this lay leader said, and somebody was really touched with your anointed message today. They gave a hundred dollar bill. Well, the minister never said a word. He went home and he was telling this to his wife and family over lunch. And as he shared that story, little Joey, eight years old, with all of his wisdom spoke up and said, you know, dad, if you would have put more in, you would have gotten more out. (laughs) Well, that's true with a lot of things in life. What we put in is often what we get out. When we come to worship, it's not for us. We don't give to get, but just out of the overflow of giving the gift of worship, certainly God blesses us in ways that we can't imagine. Well, this is week two of our current teaching on worship. Last week, we looked at the fact that God is the heart of our worship. God is the object of our worship. I want to encourage you that if you missed that teaching, that you'll go back to our YouTube channel sometime this week, and you'll get that teaching into your spirit. We're going to deal with a little more difficult stuff today and drill down just a little bit more and then have a lot of celebration next week in the teaching. It's God's desire to turn you into a worshiper. I don't know the reason you feel that you were created and why God saved you, but I want to say it was much more than forgiving you of your sins even though that's certainly part of our faith and that's the gospel. God's heart is to turn you into a worshiper. 
And we will see today ways in which we will become more authentic worshipers. I want to take you to a Bible story today. Last week, we looked that God is the object of our worship, that God is the audience. We're not the audience, right? That worship is a verb. Worship is not simply something we come to. It's something we come to do. This week, I want us to look at a Bible story out of 2 Samuel chapter 6. And in this little story of a worship service, we see one guy drops over dead, another person's marriage breaks up, and the king strips down in his underwear and dances before 30,000 people. I mean, sounds like a typical worship service at Gingsburg on a Sunday morning, right? <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy, I hope not. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel in the Old Testament, chapter 6. Now, if I was outlining this chapter today, I would say for this talk that verses 1 through 11 would be God's strong warning to contemporary or modern worshipers, okay? Verses 1 to 11, God's strong warning to contemporary worshipers. And then verses 12 to 23, God's strong warning to traditional worshipers. So we're an equal opportunity offender here. <laughs> what I want to invite you to do is apply the relevant word to your heart, meaning be a good doctor of your own soul. When you hear these words of warning, don't say, well, I hope Susie's hearing this, or I hope Joe's hearing this or whoever. <laughs> if you're Joe, don't be offended. I just made that up for the sake of the, the talk, all right? Apply the relevant word, what speaks to you in this interesting Bible story. First of all, verses 1 to 11, God's strong warning to informal or contemporary worship services. It's about King David. Then David again gathered all of his elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Bala of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord's heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. Now, at this point in biblical history, David has been the king for seven years. His time in the wilderness had ended. The civil wars of Israel had ended. He is now the king, and it's his desire to unite the nation together. And he will ignite the nation under the banner of Yahweh, under the king, under the Lord. And he has a strategy it is his desire to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God that houses the Ten Commandments, back to Jerusalem to establish that Jerusalem is the heart of the earth, that Jerusalem is the Lord's capital, and he is now in the seat of Moses. He is a political genius in doing this. But David was much more than a politician. David was a man after God's own heart, and he had promised the Lord that he would bring the ark of God back to Jerusalem, which symbolized the presence of God. So do you see how important it would be to have the ark there in the capital and the temple, that that's where the Lord was. The Lord reigned over Israel, and he was at the heart of the nation. And God established certain 
regulations and rules of how to handle this holy item. It was a sacred piece because it represented the presence of the Lord. It was not just a common box. It was something unique. And so there were rules and regulations around how even to transport the ark. You were not to transport it in a cart. You were to transport it on the shoulders of priests as it would enter the city. But there are those times when we are around the holy, which means set apart, when we are around the sacred so much that it's easy to become casual with the things that are unique and special. And sometimes even with us, we ask the question, do we really need to observe any reverence here? Do we need to recognize that God is holy? So let's see what happens next, verses 3 to 7. They placed the ark of God on the new cart and brought it from Abedadad's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadad's sons, were guiding the cart that carried the ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals. Now listen to this. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the ox stumbled and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. Friends, if you want drama, that's drama, right? Now picture this, put it in modern terms. We're in here at Gingsburg, let's say it's a packed house. Things are really moving. Emily's singing, Chris is playing, the guitar licks are going. I mean, it is really getting special. People are starting to celebrate and dance and shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph and all these wonderful things. And then Pastor Dennis comes up on the stage and all of a sudden he falls over dead. Now that would tend to quench the spirit, don't you think, for a moment? <laughs> and that's what's happening in this story. It seems like they're celebrating, they're finally bringing the ark, and all of a sudden, Uzzah reaches out. Now, this is a concerning story. It's one of those where I think we just continue to wrestle. We don't explain Scripture away. We just explain Scripture. And this is one sometimes we just struggle with. All I can say today in this hour on this is that I believe if you're worried, oozes in heaven with egg on his face. <laughs> what was I thinking, God? I knew directly not to do that, but I did that. And we see the result. Now, what you may not know about Uzzah is that he grew up around the ark. The ark was housed his entire childhood in his house in his father's house. And so I picture little Uzzah playing around the ark. It became commonplace. It became the norm. It was not sacred or set apart. It was right there, maybe in the living room, so to speak, or I could see with a little ball just around the ark. And there is something to be said that when we spend time, even the things that are set apart, it becomes the norm. We can become too informal. We can become too casual. And we wonder if we really need to ever have any reverence at all. 
that's a challenge. True for us, for some of us who grew up around the church in a very informal setting. Is there any time that we humble ourselves? Is there any time that we quiet ourselves? Is there any time that we say that church is not about us? See, as I mentioned last week, some of us were raised where we thought it was for our edification, for our blessing, to be fed, to be encouraged, to be blessed, to be healed up. Do we ever come to the place where it's said it's really not about us? <laughs> it's about God. And here we are to submit ourselves to God. Back in 2011, I led a group of 16 church staff members on a staff retreat. One of the places that we use here in Western Ohio, our church has used it for years, is the Maria Stein Christian Conference Center in Maria Stein up in Mercer County. Anybody ever been to Maria Stein, Ohio? Okay. Kind of a neat place, neat uh, worship center up there, Roman Catholic Center. We brought our staff up there just to team build and to strategize and to plan and to pray. And I kind of like it because the grounds are beautiful. It's a quiet place out of the city, in the country. Um, very simple rooms, no TVs. They have a nice dining hall. The ladies up there, they make some good food. And so we were up there. But it just so happened that week, because it's kind of a big place, there were other groups there. And, and the, the other group that was there was a group of young Dominican Roman Catholic candidates for priesthood. And it was interesting talking to them about their journeys. And in the evening when we had some free time, they had some free time. We were just chatting a little bit. But in the morning when we woke up, they were under a strict code of silence. They were not permitted, we later found out, to speak until after breakfast, after they had chapel, after communion. But they still came into the dining hall. And so here we are, the group of good Methodists here. Hey, how you doing? Good morning, good morning. How'd you sleep last night? Did you, see, did you hear about the ball game? Who won, you know? And here looking over were all these young men, silent, in prayer, some reading scripture. And it really humbled me. Not because what I was doing was wrong and what they were doing was right or vice versa. It was just, it made me think, when do I ever quiet myself? When do I ever just be still before the Lord? So I think that we can learn from things from that, especially here in a very informal setting, in casual setting. Yes, there are times that we need to Observe Psalm 47, verse 1. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout. When was the last time you shouted? Shout to God with the voice of triumph. There are those moments. But let's go back to the last chapter before 47. In Psalm 46, 10, where it says, Be still and know that I am God. And so I think there needs to be a balance. There is that time we need to remember that God is not us, that God is not simply our little buddy. Certainly God is not our genie in the bottle. <laughs> God is holy. Psalm 8, when I consider the heavens, the moon and all the stars, I wonder what you ever saw in me. Meaning, God, when I consider that you're the one who put the stars in place, and yet you know my name. That's humbling, friends. 
And so there are those times, if we're talking Christian warnings, where we rejoice and we dance. But there are also those times, now listen, where we stop the Christian aerobics and the cartwheels and we say, Lord, I can't even speak. I'm a man of unclean lips in your presence. Let that be a good word and apply the relevant word and be a doctor of your own soul today. Now let's look at verses 12 through 23. I'm going to flip the coin. Strong warning to traditional worshipers. So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Maybe because of just what happened to Uzzah, right? Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. And the ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Then David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, that means Jerusalem, with great celebration. Now check out this worship service. And the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six step. David sacrificed a bull and fatted calf. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns. Now here's the key that I want you not to miss, traditional worshipers. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with content for her. Can you see her given the evil eye? Now, who was Michael? She was Saul's daughter. She was married to David. So she was David's wife. And her focus was on who? Her husband. David, he was in worship. His focus was on who? God. So while David was focused on God, he was worshiping an audience of one. His wife had an audience of one, but her focus was not on the Lord. It was on David. Sometimes when we sit and simply become observers. Remember I said last week, who are we as a congregation? We are participants. We are the performers, not those on the stage. They're the prompters of all of us. God is the audience. When we become observers, when we become taking it all in, it's easy also to become critics to evaluate, well, I like her better than him, or we sang this song, and we sang four songs today, and I like it when we sing three, because I don't like to stay in that long, or the pastor's sermon's a little bit too long, and we, we get into critiquing instead of worshiping. And Michael was a perfect observer and critic in disgust. Her focus was not in church on the Lord. It was on David. She Look at him. 
stripping down his priestly garment would have been his undergarments, his underwear. That's undignified. That's too emotional. And many of us, because of our upbringing, we struggle with emotionalism at church. We really do. Now, in other venues, we don't struggle with emotionalism. We go to a sports game and, you know, we're all cheers for our team. I guarantee you, if you won the lottery, you would believe in emotionalism, right? Of course, we don't play the lottery around here because we're not going to waste our money, right? Why can't we believe in emotionalism when it comes to the Lord, when it comes to our relationships? I mean, think about that. If I went to my wife, Rachel, and said, it's our anniversary, and I just want you to know when I look in your eyes tonight, I feel nothing. My heart is cold. I'm indifferently in love with you. Now kiss me, baby. She would just fall in my arms, right? No, no we get emotional. And we think about the things of the Lord, we, we, get, we get emotional. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was what? I was lost, but I, now I'm found. I'm blind, but now I see. And we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. How can we not give praise, friends? How can we not show emotion? When we've been truly transformed by the love of God, the reckless love that pursues us. Amen? If somebody doesn't say amen in here, I'm going to wonder if we're alive today. But see, the, the issue really is our upbringing. The issue is our upbringing. Three times in this scripture, three times in verses 16, 20, and 23, it says that Michael was a daughter of Saul. It was how she was wired. And so when we start thinking about this criticism and that criticism, maybe we need to check it up against our own culture. Maybe we need to check it up against our own upbringing because maybe the influences are not really biblical as much as they are our own culture. And all I can say is that's an area then that we can grow. Some of us have a hard time really worshiping God because we're in pain. We're banged up but we're here. And I just want to acknowledge it because I know that's real. On any given Sunday, the hell that some of us go through through the week or the worry or concern for ourselves or others is unreal. What do we do with that? Annie Chapman, who's a popular speaker, was speaking at a women's conference several years ago. And after the prayer, the people were filing out to the coffee shop and to the lobby. And she noticed that one lady just stayed in the back. She, she didn't give up from her chair and she was quite emotional. And Annie thought, well, I've got to deal with this. There's something going on here. So he, she decided to say something to her. And then, so she said to her, she said, is there anything I can do for you? And this is what the woman said. I'm just reading this from Annie's book here. This woman answered this way, 
I'm a mother to three children. My oldest son has been confined to a wheelchair for the past 17 years. My other two children have many learning and emotional challenges. And I'm married to a mean, hateful man who makes my life miserable. I also buried my father this week. And at the funeral, I learned that he had disinherited me from his estate because he hated my husband. So I came to this conference with one prayer. I asked God to kill my husband. I actually prayed, Lord, I need a way out. I feel like a bird in a cage. When I prayed that prayer, God spoke to me as clearly as I've ever sensed his voice. He said, even a bird in a cage sings. What am I supposed to do with that? How do I live with that answer? Annie said she was blown away by just hearing that. So she quickly prayed silently. And then she said this. If God says sing, you need to find your song. The only way to find your song is to remember that God is with you in the cage and he is bigger than the cage and he can open it whenever he chooses. This morning in our, in our early devotion, Chris was teaching our worship pastor who's up here. And he just said the right thing. He said, even in your pain, today you can praise. I want to say to you that for some of you, this may be your story. For most of you, that's not exactly your story. But some of you still have pain. And I want to say whatever pain that you're experiencing down here, there's more power to handle it up here. Amen? Amen. If you read the rest of the story, you see that things did not go overly well for Michael and David and their marriage. This was kind of the beginning of the end. It, it broke apart. But what my takeaway from this story is that between divorce and David's death, he danced. He danced. He danced. And today, when we focus on an audience of one, God calls us Gigamsburg to dance, to dance before the Lord. Holy Spirit, I thank you for this great place, this great auditorium, this worldwide church online. I thank you for a church with a heart that wants to be authentic worshipers. I thank you, Lord, today that you call all of us to enter into worship and spirit and truth. Continue to mold us and shape us continue to help us to focus not on ourselves or on other people. But today, Lord, help us to come with a gift of praise, knowing that when we give, we can't outgive you, that you come back tenfold in blessing after blessing. Lord, we love you and we commit our steps to you. In Jesus' name we pray and all said, amen.
I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you would like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Gingosberg app or online at gingosberg.org.